Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Becky Something, played by Elizabeth Moss, is a 90s punk rock superstar who once filled arenas with her grungy all-female trio, Something She. Now she plays smaller venues while grappling with motherhood, exhausted bandmates and nervous record company executives, and a new generation of rising talent eager to assert her stardom. When Becky's chaos and excesses derail a recording session and national tour, she finds herself shunned, isolated, and alone. And that is the backstory behind this remarkable film called Her Smell. And the director and writer of the film is Alex Ross Perry. He's known for such films as Listen Up, Philip, Golden Exits, as well as a previous work with uh, with Elizabeth Moss called Queen of Earth. She, he joins us today to talk about Her Smell. Alex Ross Perry, thank you so much for being here on Film School. Happy to join. Or welcome to film school, I should say. Uh, Alex, either way. <laughs> either way. Well, just in terms of um, the the film itself, uh, you you wrote the script. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the sort of the the idea of where the where did the script and the idea come from? Well, I, I sort of had just promised Lizzie. Um, this character at some point, because I, after Queen of Earth, thought it would be exciting for her to play what I said to her would, at the time, all I knew was a rock star mother addict. At the time of suggesting that to her, I, I didn't know anything about, am I going to go big into this era or that era? You know, none of that was clear to me. But through a series of events, kind of largely being the, the implosion and failure to get a, a 60s pop music movie off the ground that I had been trying to make and the failure and implosion of a pilot I'd been writing set in the 90s at the same time. I was listening to a lot of 90s music while working on that. I think the sort of, you know, ashes of both of those projects rose Phoenix-like together into this idea. So it all kind of came together. So I had I had those two those two failures and then this character for her, and you know the '60s pop movie doesn't happen and it's like well, I don't really have a firsthand experience with any of this music. I kind of came to this music later, once it was already canonical. Maybe it's for the best it didn't happen, but maybe you know a lot of people for 40 years have been inspired by Phil Spector and music like that. Maybe no one has ever thought to make that kind of grand sweeping 90s punk grunge movie maybe that's the thing i meant to do because if not me then who who other than me has the the support of this actor and the resources to actually make this movie yeah it it, and it feels like such uh an accurate reflection of the at that time i'm old enough to have lived through the 90s and a few other decades as well and I, it feels like there are a couple of bands that jump to mind. Um, L7 uh, was a band that sort of feels like the sound, Bikini Kill. There, there's sort of a, I mean, I, I could hear that in, in, in the music. And then there, obviously, there's a lot of speculation about who sort of her character is modeled after. And I don't know how, I'm sure you've answered this question many, many times. I don't know if we can want to answer it again. But the, the music sounded dead on for the for this the kind of you know band that they were um i'm kind of curious were, were any of those influences uh in play 
Well, all, you know, I mean, yes and no. I mean, the, the influences were hundreds, hundreds of women. Yeah. You know, dozens upon dozens of bands and records and photographs. And, yeah. Um, you know, just, just all of it. Um, I, I, it's not to sound vague and make it sound like I don't really have an answer to this. It's just Becky is not 51% any one woman. Yeah. She's 51% me and Lizzie, and then 49% 60 different women. Well, well, so like the majority share in the character is just my instincts to write this fictional woman who didn't exist, but, but could have. Everything about her could have existed. Um, but, I, you know, I just need the freedom as the writer to not tell any one story to say, oh, if she's going to have a baby and the father has to be this kind of a guy. He has to be in a band. Right. Well, I don't want him to be in a band. I want him to be a DJ. Right. And I can do that. And right. to say, you know, oh, well, the band has to break up here. And it's like, well, I want them. I don't want that. I want them to break up here. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, the inspiration is just like growing up in that era and admiring these women. And then in the wind up to writing the movie, just thinking very hard about the narrative and the consideration of, of women in alternative rock and what that meant and the feelings over them and their success and, you know, yeah. how even some of the most derivative, lame, all-male grunge alternative bands would outsell the best and most creative and intuitive female bands. Like, it's all this weird kind of thing that the more I read about it, the more it just became like, I can only read very broad things about this because if I read any one person's memoir or biography, I'm just going to be thinking about that one person. Right. But then within that, it's like Becky has to come from her own place. Mari has to come from a different culture of music. Allie, the drummer, she comes from a different culture. So there's these kind of, you know, orbiting spheres of influence of women in rock at the time. And three of them collide in this band. And then Zelda, comes from another kind of place and the acre girls come from another place. So it's like trying to represent as many facets of what from a distance, 25 years hence, one might just call women in alternative rock. But for me, it's like I can split this up six or seven different ways and still not even address all the influences. Right. That, that, thank you. That was a great answer. That was a I feel like that was a bit of an unfair question to ask you because you're right. It, I, it sort of did take, it diminishes what you've accomplished here because all of these characters, all, everyone in this film has dimensions that, and, uh, and the fact that it's told from a, a, uh, from a female perspective in the music industry in a time when, as you were describing, very difficult for women to be heard in any genre of music, and particularly in, in this area where, it, where that was the case. It's the, it is, this film is about the relationships, it's about the dynamics of a band, of a general band, but it's also about this remarkable depth that Elizabeth Moss brings to the character of Becky. And I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you about sort of this collaboration that you had with her. Uh, I, I understand from some doing a little research that you did not have a whole lot of time to rehearse going into the actual production, but whatever it is that worked between the, the two of you, she is, delivers an amazing performance, and I, I can attribute that to both of you. Tell me a little bit about how you were able to work together to get this performance. Well, it's just the, um, I mean, it's just the trust that's there from this being the third movie, and it extends 
kind of beyond just her and myself. You know, it's her and the crew, all of whom she's made several movies with as well. So, like, she just knows that there's really, like, she, in my eyes, it's just the whole character and the whole conceit of the movie and everything. It's just written for her. It's written in her voice. It's written in her hair. It's written in her body language. So there's really no margin for failure because, you know, I just said to her and to everybody that I'd made four movies with, you really can't fail me on this. Like anything you can do is any decisions you make that I'm not anticipating that I don't expect. Those are the right decisions and I'm excited. So let me just see them and then we'll take it from there. It's just saying like part of it is kind of writing this long theatrical, very dialogue intense, nonsense, tangential, you know, script full of puns and references and weird asides and saying all this dialogue is of paramount importance. You're going to have to memorize every one of these, no matter how gibberishy some of these lines sound. But within the physicality and the actions and the body language, I don't have really a single idea on that to impose. So by all means, make everything about this performance your own. But as though you're doing some sort of established play, please respect that, like, I assure you and I can explain anything you have a question about. This, like, page-long rant monologue might seem like it's total gibberish. And all the instances within it of, like, Oh, and another thing, and while we're on the subject, and did I ever mention, like, all the sort of weird, like, I was like, I can explain to you why all that stuff matters, but just please trust me that we have to do it. So then the performance is just crafted from saying, like, beyond that, it's just yours. Like, I'm, I, don't, I don't really want to tell you what to do or what not to do, because I want the performance always to feel unpredictable and chaotic, because that's overall what I know the movie needs to be. So anything... We, the more we talk about it, the less unpredictable and chaotic we're likely to make it. But the rehearsal thing is different because, you know, the movie just has these five 25-ish minute scenes, and each one was perceived. There is no rehearsal before the shoot, but during the shoot, we did this kind of unprecedented thing that no one has ever heard of or attempted before, apparently, where each act was preceded by one full day of rehearsal. So... Day one of the shoot is a 10-hour day rehearsing act one, which is, you know, 30 pages. And then days two, three, and four are shooting act one in chronological order, one-third at a time. And then day five, Friday, we just rehearse act five for nine hours. And everyone gets to step through it 15 times, ask 100 questions about... Do I stand, you know, maybe I'm going to go over here. Maybe I'll grab this. Can we get me some bottles right here to smash? Can we get me um, a cigarette lighter here? Props is listening. Lighting is paying attention. Okay, so now that corner is going to have something in it. And by the time we're up and doing it, 12 pages in a row, 10 times in a row, without taking a lunch break for just eight hours straight of filming to keep the momentum alive, the rehearsal's already kind of done, and all that's left is just, so what's actually going to happen? What's the performance actually going to be? And then that chaos is what the movie needed, and the only way to do that is really prepare for it. Yeah, and one of the things about 
all of the the writing and all of the interplay between the characters, there's a level of intelligence. Uh, Becky is a very intelligent woman, uh, and that shines through at, even as she's in decline and even as she becomes less and less connected. You still sense in her this kind of burning intelligence. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of anger and just think unresolved issues comes through in her performance. But I would imagine what you just described in the course of doing something like that is exhausting. I can imagine going through it once or twice being exhausting. But by the time you get to the third and fourth or tenth time you're going through these scenes, that would also play into the exhaustion of the character, or at least it would feel even more organic is that is that a fair way to put it, or did that happen that way? Well, I can honestly say that the movie is as difficult to have executed as you're surmising it to have been. Okay. Um, no question there. Um, but I'm also glad to hear, and honestly, I'm not just saying this, you're one of the first people to pick up on the point you just made, which was, of the utmost importance to Lizzie because she sussed this out in early drafts of the script and asked me to really, really lean into it, which was that Becky is very smart and her brain contains an unfathomable amount of information and references and quotes from things she's seen on TV or comic books she's read or songs she's heard once that she knows the, the, the melodies to and all the lyrics to. And it was really important that in Acts 1, 2, and 3, we kind of track this descent where in Acts 1, Becky's pulling out references and quotations a mile a minute. Songs, nursery rhymes, uh, you know, slogans from advertising. She's just full of this stuff, which to me is a very 90s kind of way of someone's brain being overloaded with this information. And she really wanted to make sure that as the movie goes on in Acts 2 and 3, you're just getting the sense that the intelligence this woman innately possesses is her greatest asset, and it's the thing she's abusing the most. And you see her brain kind of get, you know, more and more fried. And by Acts 3, some of these things, they're still in there, but they're just kind of leaking out rather than being properly stored. And the amount of intelligence that she possesses, I think is very, very clear and very important. And, and, and you know, that that's just something for the actors to keep track of because you can't make it seem like she's just some out of control idiot. You have to make it seem like, wow, like this is a woman that when she hears something once, she seems to remember it forever. Right. Well, and also it makes her more dangerous because she's you're not going to be able to fool her. You're not going to be able to trick her into doing something that she doesn't want to do or or that she's not pre predisposed to do. There's just so much in this performance and I uh, before we I let you go I I really want to uh, by the way we're we're speaking with Alex Ross Perry. The film is called Her Smell. Comes out April 19th here in Los Angeles. But Sean Price Williams who you've worked with before and I'll be out there for some uh, I'll be out there for some, some Q&As with some of the cast so hopefully Okay. Los Angeles folks can can come to the Arclight and say hello. Okay, great. Thank you for <laughs> for getting that in. But Sean Price Williams one of my favorite cinematographers ever in the history of the world. It does a remarkable job with his documentary filmmaking background. He has this ability, this collaboration with you, but also this ability to capture so much in frame. So much what happens in this film is, is predicated on seeing everything, seeing the whole room. Sometimes it's just fantastic work. But this collaboration that you've had with him, and, and he continues to just amaze me. 
Well, it's it's very it's, again like you know so it's his third movie with Lizzie as well. It's just I wrote the movie for him and and honestly also very important his gaffer Danny April who's just an absolute wizard with lights and colors as much as I wrote it for Lizzie and she of course knows both of them yeah. in a way that she's just comfortable going crazy and acting ridiculous in front of Sean because she's known him now for five years and you know he's filmed her in three different movies so like it's just that comfort level but the sort of theatrical conceit of it and the sort of construction of these sets in collaboration with Danny kind of creating his own lighting pattern while we're designing and building the sets is so that each room is fair game basically floor to ceiling left to right and anyone can go anywhere and sean can just watch the rehearsal which is very important for him and instantly determine the entire sequence of what every piece of coverage we're going to need is going to be and for a lot of this movie all of acts one and five we're working with a steadicam operator guy named aaron brown no relation to steadicam inventor garrett brown but aaron (laughs) worked on good time with sean and, you know, Sean and I are at a monitor sitting next to each other for the first time ever, just with earpieces, kind of directing Aaron in the scenes after Aaron has watched the rehearsals as well. And that's just kind of a different skill set for Sean is that, you know, he's really directing the photography. He's not operating in those scenes. And it was kind of fun for us both to get to kind of tell Aaron, go, go, go closer, go well, now. Okay, now follow her. Okay, stay there. Wow. Well, well, continue this collaboration. Continue your fantastic work. I, I so appreciate your films, and I so appreciate that what goes into them and the attention to detail that I see in this one. And these performances are all across the board remarkable. And congratulations! Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for. Uh, well, thank you for helping uh, help helping get the word out. Great. Uh, that I anytime. The film is her smell. We've been speaking with the uh, writer director Alex Ross Perry. Alex Ross Perry, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 